You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the business side of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, Amy Grice, BMD, MBA, is going to share having and following processes and policies. Dr. Grice was an equine practitioner for more than 20 years before starting veterinary business consulting. She advises veterinarians and practice owners on a wide variety of projects and challenges, and she's the current AAEP treasurer. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Cure Credit. Welcome, Dr. Grice. Hi, it's so great to be back, Kim. Thanks for asking me. Well, I am so happy that you're back to talk about this. And I know at, at first glance, a lot of people are probably listening because it's you. Like Dr. Grice always has something cool to say, but we know that processes and policies doesn't really sound sexy, but these are really integral parts needed to conduct successful business with your equine practice. It's kind of like if you don't have them, it's like doing a castration without anesthesia. You can get it done, but it won't go as well for the patient, the client, you or your staff. So what processes and policies do equine veterinary practices need? You know, Having policies and processes are so important for so many things that happen in veterinary practices, anywhere from, you know, financial policies for how you're going to collect payment from your clients. Imagine if you don't have a financial policy. And for Joe, Joe's been a client for 30 years. So, you know, we let Joe just kind of slide and he'll pay us eventually when he sells that nice yearling in three or four years, maybe the third or fourth yearling that's really nice, maybe, (laughs) but he might drop dead in the meantime. Um, So maybe a new client is subject to a different policy, but policies are so important because think about it. If you as the practice owner, um, you know, are not present because you're out in your truck actually, you know, running around the countryside working and your staff has a question from somebody. If you have a policy, they know the answer. And so it saves so much time and energy from the standpoint of the owner not having to answer every single question about everything. It also really helps you with having um an opportunity to treat all of your employees fairly and equitably because you may, frankly, you may not remember what you did. Say something happens with an employee, um, something awful, their family's house burns down and they lose all their belongings. And as a, as a practice owner, as a partner group, what, whoever is, is in charge of your practice, you feel awful for this employee and you sit down and you write them a $2,000 check to help them buy some clothes and have something, you know, because they've been a valued employee. <clears throat> well, four or five years go by. And your entire staff remembers what you did for that employee whose house burned down. And if somebody else had something catastrophic happen to them and you didn't react in a similar way, how would that feel? 
And so while that is not a policy, it's something you want to remember. You want to have institutional memory. So maybe after that first time of helping somebody in a catastrophic situation, you actually talk about it with your co-owners and say, hey, you know, in the future, what do we want to do? How do we want to handle this? Because we do want to be fair and we're getting older and we don't remember stuff. We have a lot of things in our heads. An another thing that can really, really help is, is simply to have some processes and policies around the risk things that you do in your practice. There's a lot of risky things. Say, for instance, OSHA or controlled substance, uh, con you know, taking care of all of the different regulations uh, surrounding controlled substances especially now that we have some changed regulations around xylazine in some states. And so having very clear processes, even a standard operating procedures manual around some of these things so that somebody doesn't have to say, huh, I wonder what I'm supposed to do that they can go somewhere and look it up, whether that's an electronic document or in a notebook in the lab, or on the shelf at, at uh, the front desk, that they have a place to go to get questions answered because that will allow people to be so much more self-sufficient, efficient, and uh, feel more comfortable in their workplace like they're able yeah. to do their job. Yeah, and, and even at that, I mean, if let's say they notice that there's not as much drug as should be in the cabinet, what's mm -hmm. the practice? What's the policy? Right. You just ignore it considering somebody else is going to take care of it, uh -huh. you know, how big of a yeah. deal is it? So, it, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, it can, it can actually, people can have processes for some of the smallest, what seem like the smallest things, like how do we onboard a new employee? Do we, if we're having a slow week because it's January, we actually introduce them to everyone and teach them all the things. But if they are hired in May, we just throw them out there and say, you'll figure it out as you go along because we're too busy to teach you, <laughs> right? So if you had a process, something a little more formal, um, those that are working in the office would have a checklist of things. Okay, these are the things we need to make sure to cover with this new employee so that they feel like not only do we care about their success, but we're setting them up for success. There's a really great book, which many of you probably have read, called The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. Great, great book. Um, other books that um, can talk about this subject and really engage you in it with meaningful stories are Michael Gerber's The E-Myth Revisited. And he co-wrote with Dr. Peter Weinstein, The E-Myth Veterinarian. These three books are just fabulous for, you know, getting you uh, sort of excited about processes and procedures because, you know, you just hear the words and you're like, oh God, I wanna run the other way. But in <laughs> fact, they make your life better and they make your practice more successful and all of your team members feeling like they are really able to engage and do 
nobody gets up in the morning and says, I'm going to go to work and do a really crappy job today. <laughs> People get up and they they want to feel like what they do makes a difference. And by giving them the tools to work independently and make decisions based on the, the guidelines you've given them, that gives them higher engagement, higher job satisfaction, and just in general makes them feel much more successful and, and happy at work. Good point. Yeah. And just for our listeners, I will make sure and get uh, the titles of those books and put links to where you can find them on the article that goes with this podcast on equimanagement.com. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit keeps equine veterinarians at the heart of care by providing horse owners with simple, budget-friendly financing options. By bridging the gap between cost and care, Care Credit supports healthy financial relationships between veterinarians and their clients. It can help them move forward with care a horse needs whenever and wherever it's needed. Other things that you can do with policies and procedures are if you have a multi-doctor practice, you can actually start to have conversations about how you will handle certain situations. So if you had a client who was dissatisfied with the service that they received, you might have a procedure for that. You might actually discuss as a group how you would handle that. In some practices, that person would be, the office manager would be asked to call them. In other practices, the veterinarian might call them. In other practices, the the owner of the practice might call them. And it might change depending on the circumstances, but you could have a policy so people understood what was expected. And that's really what these things Uh, do is set some expectations as well as guidelines to help people know what they should do and what the team is the team's owners would like them to do not that the owners own the team but the practice owners team members yeah and it's it's always good because um I mean, I know one that that comes up, it seems like a lot these days in discussions is maternity. How do you handle a veterinarian or a staff member that's pregnant or their spouse is pregnant or they adopt? Mm -hmm. And that's always, you know, you have to make sure that you're handling those not only fairly, but legally. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, by by sitting down and actually writing a policy that requires you as you're writing it, to actually do a little research. Um, And that's helpful instead of just shooting from the hip. Um, And then if you find out you've done it wrong, having to change something. Another thing you may think about is how would I handle a an employee that had some uh, you know difficulty? Maybe they had a diagnosis of cancer, they were getting some cancer treatment, you know, but they wanted to keep showing up at work. They wanted to put some hours in when they felt good. You know, having a policy of how you were going to handle someone that had some disability but wanted to be able to work part-time. Because it's important that you treat people fairly and equitably, and you want to make sure that your policy allows Um, everyone to really have the same opportunities if that works within their situation. 
You can also have policies about how you load your ambulatory vehicles that, you know, sometimes people, if you've seen the the back of a truck, a Bowie unit in the back of the truck that's like chock full of dispensed items that are bouncing around in the truck and getting a lot of wear marks on them. And sometimes it's hard to know what did you stuff in that box? Sometimes people start writing on the top with magic marker. But in fact, once you write on the top with magic marker, you would not be able to return that product or right because it's no longer unsullied. And so you might have, you know, you might say, hey, we're not going to write on the tops of things. You know, um, we're not going to carry a lot of stock because as it bounces around in the truck, it starts to look very used. So we're not if somebody wants to have something dispensed, we'll put it in specifically that morning to take it to them. Um, you know, just there's so many little things. Many, many practices share diagnostic equipment. And imagine um, there are practices where, you know, someone may there maybe signs up or thinks they sign up to use it. And yet maybe the senior doctor or maybe the junior doctor just comes through, doesn't look at the appropriate sign up sheet and takes that piece of equipment. Imagine if you actually had a policy about how we're doing that. Does that piece of equipment generally go to the northern part of the territory on Tuesdays and to the southern part of the territory on Thursdays and somewhere maybe east and west in between, um, you know, having some something planned is often really helpful for people um, so that they can be able to plan ahead both for their clients and also with their colleagues. That's a good point. So many places that you can do this um, in a, say, in a hospital facility, uh, especially in the northern part of the United States, when it gets really cold and, and snowy and horrible outside. Um, sometimes when patients are in the hospital, uh, the people that are caring for them really want to be warm. And so they might turn on the heaters. Uh, and get the place cooking up around 70 degrees. But these horses, many of them come in with a winter coat and they're going back to a barn that is outside and cold. And so perhaps that hospital needs to have a policy about how we're using the heater. <laughs> you know, how warm are we allowing the hospital to be? Are we running the heater when the Dutch doors are open so the horses can get good ventilation? Probably not. <laughs> um, so just some of those simple things, if they're spelled out by the team leaders, then it's very simple. If the heater's on when it shouldn't be, then it's right there. That's it shouldn't be. So it's an easy it's an easy fix. It's not a big discussion. Kind of take some of the the difficulty out of things. Yeah. So is this an employee handbook? How, how are these things transferred? How is this knowledge transferred from vet to vet or, or 
practice owner to staff or office manager to other employees? I think one of the important things is that the information is available to everyone easily. And that is going to mean probably by an electronic means. And an employee handbook usually does not have practice policies about certain things in it. It has more HR kind of stuff. Um, But there could be an additional document called practice policies. Um, For OSHA kind of things, the safety manual is actually um, something that's a requirement. And in terms of controlled substance uh, policies and procedures, I always recommend a standard operating procedures document for that. So it's another separate document. But each of these could live on the desktop um, where people could easily get to them. And because many of us like still like paper. Um, If we don't want to go to a computer, they could be also um, in a printed form. Uh, You could get them wire bound at Staples or at FedEx office, um, you know, with those little coil bindings and replace them every year as you update things. So, how I mean, we've we've talked about how some of these processes can help you be more successful as a practice, but maybe just kind of hit the highlights again, because there's some of these that are related to profitability. Some of them are related to management. Some of them are related to legal matters. I mean, so mm-hmm. I mean, where do, where do you start with all these processes and policies? You know, probably the the place that you need to start is with those that are really have some serious uh, ramifications if you are not um, taking care of mitigating risk. And that would be controlled substances, OSHA, things that are involved with safety. Um, And then patient safety is another big one. Um, if you have a facility and you you have, you know, horses being recovered, uh, what is the policy for going in with a recovering horse? Are you required to wear a helmet and a vest? Uh, you know, just having some, you know, keeping in mind your safety. Then we go on to the profitability part where making sure you have policies for your clients and your customer service that are um equitable across the board because no one likes to feel like they're being singled out. Everybody wants to be treated the same. Everybody is a VIP, right? And so you want to make sure that they feel that way by having really clear policies that are followed. And the following the policies can be a big thing where The associates might follow them, but some of the owners don't because they didn't always have to do it that way and they don't really like it. Um, And that really is hard. It's hard for clients. It's hard for associates. It's hard for the office team members. One of the places that processes are incredibly important is within associations, And that could be an association like your state veterinary medical association that you might serve on, or even your local. Uh, It could be on AAEP. It could be on your church vestry. So each of these organizations 
have bylaws and they have processes for doing things for how often do you meet? How do you choose people to serve? Um, and when these processes break down, trust in the organization starts to break down. And so if you think of associations as a bigger kind of illustration of a smaller organization called a practice, think about what happens in that smaller organization, that same breaking down of trust, that what you're going to experience is going to be the same every time. And that's where processes become so incredibly important because they uphold the trust that your members, your clients, your team members, whoever's involved. Well, that is probably a, a great place to stop. I know we could talk about this for a long time, but just I really appreciate breaking this down to help veterinarians start thinking about these and maybe what would be a first step? Again, you, you talked about that before, but I just want to reiterate it with the safety, the mm -hmm. drugs, you know, any kind of controlled substances, patient safety, mm -hmm. um, and then financial, financial policies are financial. financial policies are a big one. Yeah. That's great. And we also want to tell everyone that, you know, there, there's lots of articles on equimanagement, many of which Dr. Grace have written. And the AP, of course, has lots of uh, uh, tools that can help veterinarians. So if you're looking for some help on that, reach out to the AP and they can probably get you started on some of this. Is there anything else that you would like to comment on, Dr. Grace? Um, I'd just like to say that while it looks like it feels like a big in, incredibly uh, hard job to start having policies and procedures, you simply start small. When you make a decision about something, some situation that happens, think to yourself, has this situation ever happened before? Is it likely to ever happen again? And if the answer is yes, then at least write down and memorialize how you handled it this time so that you know how you're, you should be handling it similarly the next time. And that is how you start creating a, a stack of policies and procedures. Well, that is great advice. So thank you, Dr. Grice, for joining us today on the Business of Practice podcast. And a Big thanks to our sponsor, Care Credit, for letting us have these discussions. And we invite our listeners to visit or your favorite podcast network to hear each episode of The Business of Practice. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter, kbrown, at equinnetwork.com. 